0: Last Sunday of Advent, we've been in this series, and so I need to ask a very, very, very important Christmas question this morning. Um, how many of you either had kids who did, or you watched this yourself when you were a kid? Schoolhouse Rock, uh, amen to Schoolhouse Rock. Um, the better question would be, how many of you were in high school and you took American government and you had to say the preamble to the constitution in front of class and you sang it in your head while it came out of your mouth, we the people in order to perform a poor perfect union. Yeah, you remember that. Um, Schoolhouse Rock, um, just so important. Um, like I can show you this picture and you immediately start singing in your head and you learned what a bill was because of this. And you sing, I'm just a bill. You see this guy. And you sing, conjunction, junction. What's your function? And then you get this. And you go, wait, I don't know this one. Um, what now? This is actually the adjective song. The adjective song, see? I'm 56 years old. I still have to do the adjective song in my head to remember. It's lolly, lolly, lolly. Get your adverbs. And then I have to remember big, ugly bear. Oh, yeah, that's an adjective. I still don't know the difference. Thank you, adjective song. Um, why are we bringing up schoolhouse rock and adjectives? Well, part of it has to do with this guy. Um, When I was a kid, this was my absolutely favorite Schoolhouse Rock guy. Um, Anybody know who this was? Huh? Verb, yeah, this is Verb. Verb, that's what's happening. Thank you very much. Um, I used to love Verb, because Verb would hit this home run, and the player would just be sad as the ball flew over the fence, and the crowd would go wild, and I just loved that, and you're thinking right now, Dean, have you lost your mind? What does any of that have to do with this? We came for this. It's Christmas Eve. Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with that. Um, last week, we, we, we've been doing the wise of Christmas, and it started, we're asking why. We started with why, number one, why then? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Galatians 4.4. 4. In the fullness of time, what was it about the time God sent his son? And we talked about time filling up, the clock ticking, and, and God saying, right now. This is when I'm sending my son into the world. And how God arranged all of history for the perfect time to be there. And then we ask the question, well, why there? Why in that place? Why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem was nowhere. Bethlehem was unheard of. And God chooses um, the unheard of. Just like in last week, we asked why her? Why Mary? Because Mary was humble, and she gave all the glory back to God. And that's what God does. God chooses the, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise God chooses and the nobodies to change. The somebodies, um, God chooses those who give the glory back to him. God does not need human greatness to give him glory. Um, God chooses those who will give him glory. He, de- he, he wants our humility. He wants our nothingness. And so last week... We, we found um, these. This is my other favorite schoolhouse um, rock. Last week, we looked at nouns about today's. Why him? Why Jesus? And that's the silliest thing, isn't it? Like, why him? Why Jesus? And there's a thousand answers to that. And last week, we saw the announcement of Gabriel... Um, to Mary. And we saw all of these, these, these nouns. You're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus, and he will be the Son of the Most High, and he will have the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will be the Son of God. And we're amazed that this one in the manger is the son of David, he is the king, He's the son of God, he is Emmanuel, God with us. We're amazed by who he is, and that's why him. But I tend to think that in, maybe Bible churches are special, I don't know, we tend to be more comfortable with nouns than verbs. We have to have nouns, but we got to have verbs, because that's what's happening. Um, When we ask why, we get into the question of motives. And today is Love Sunday, and there is no greater motive than love. And Tartan read to us this morning the most familiar passage in the Bible. It's probably a close tie, It's just we know the address, John 3.16. We don't know where we find that line, judge not lest you be judged. We just like saying it. We think Jesus said it one time, and we love telling people not to judge while we're judging them. But it's in there somewhere, I know it. So that's got to be at least second most popular. My sixth grade teacher in a public school, Miss Odom, favorite teacher ever, taught us John 3.16. But she taught us John 3.17 with it. And I can still distinctly remember the kids in my class who already knew it. I wasn't a church kid. And I remember this being very new to me, John 3.16, from the King James in sixth grade. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever... I didn't know what a whosoever was in sixth grade. Believeth, why are we believething? Believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. My sixth grade public school teacher shared that good news with us. But I just remember thinking it was so remarkable. I I can still close my eyes and picture the one girl who sat near me just quoting it along with my teacher the very first time she heard it. And I was like, she must be a church kid. Like she was remarkable for knowing John 3, 16. It's like, wow, there's kids who just walk around with King James that in their brain, the word believeth. Who walks around with the word believeth in their head like that? But my teacher didn't stop with that. She taught us John 3:17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I still remember that from sixth grade. I don't know that my little brain understood that then, but she repeated those verses all year long at a public school. She would get so fired today, it wouldn't be funny. But this was East Tennessee, and it was 1978. And you could just do stuff like that back then. And there we were, saying those verses together. Um, And I just think it's beautiful that she attached verse 17 to that. Because it tells why he didn't. And I think in those verses, we get the four verbs of Christmas. The four verbs. This is what's happening. What's happening at Christmas is the four verbs God so loved that he gave, God sent, and God saved. And I don't know if God knew that would rhyme in 2023, but it does. And I think that's very cool. Um, loved, gave, sent, saved. The four verbs. The greatest motive, God loved the world. God gave so they wouldn't perish. And the opposite of perishing is having eternal life. And then the opposite is that God did not send his son into the world to condemn. God didn't send his son here um, to judge and to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, there's, there's so, so much going on here. Like... God did not create his son in the world. Um, God sent his son into the world, which, which must mean that his son existed before he came into the world. God's son was as the word, and then God's son came into the world as a baby. God's son was sent, not created, That was in one of the songs we sang just now, that the eternal son coming into the world. But he came because of love, the greatest motive. God gave, he sent to save. And then it says in verse eighteen, Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It seems that there's this category working here that that there are condemned people and Jesus did not come to condemn them. It's as if Jesus walked into a prison, not a a five-star hotel, Right, And he walked into death row and there were believers and unbelievers there already. Do you see what he says? Whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's as if the appearance of Jesus revealed something. It didn't create something, it revealed something. His appearance revealed there are people who were condemned. In other words, there were people who already believed when he showed up. And then when he showed up, there were people who came to believe and they passed from death to life. John 5:24, just two chapters over, one of my favorite verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me Has eternal life, present tense, not gets it someday, has it, and does not come into judgment, but has passed, has passed from death to life. So Jesus, what is he saying here? I came into the world, there were condemned people there, but when those condemned people believed in me, they passed from condemned and in death on death row. They passed over from death into life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Miss Odom, wasn't she great tacking on verse 17 with that? Just to let these little sixth graders know who who lived in a world that would just judge them like crazy. (laughs) Hey, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to judge you. He came to set you free. You notice that of all the verbs, all the verbs, all the what's happening in those verses, God gets them all but one. God loves, God sends, God gives, God saves we get one verb, believe. Believe. God does all the heavy lifting. God does all the work. We just hold out empty hands and say, thank you. I'll have that. I'll trust you for that. I'll trust you to carry me over out of condemnation into everlasting life. But then verse 19, and I want to, We've got to point this out because it's very important. John says here, and in my Bible, I don't know if you have a Bible open in front of you. In my Bible, this is still in red letters. This is very interesting. Um, Your Bible translation might have this in black letters, as if John is now getting commentary on something Jesus said earlier. But in this one, he's saying Jesus is actually saying this. Either way, it starts with these words, and this is the judgment, or this is, this is the final word on this whole section. Let me sum this up for you. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The light came into the world. Jesus said, I am a light of the world. Whoever walks in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of everlasting life. So Jesus comes into the world And the problem isn't just what they're doing, it's what they're loving. Do you see that? God loves a world full of people who love all the wrong things. And the people who love the wrong things know that if they come into the light, the things they love will be exposed. You see, darkness hides things, light exposes things. Now this is very interesting that this is in an encounter with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And it says, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. If you were a Jew in Jesus' day, and you wanted to find the cream of the crop like the best people you knew, the best law keepers you knew, the guys who were the watchdogs all around town, they were the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is one of them. And he comes at night. Nicodemus is the exception to the rules because if you follow the life of Jesus it's the Pharisees who wanted Jesus dead it's the Pharisees who hated the light who wanted to stay in the darkness it's the Pharisees whose deeds were evil but you got this one guy Nicodemus and when does he come to Jesus at night like he doesn't want all of his Pharisee friends see him going to see Jesus. And he's sneaking off to see Jesus and he's asking these questions. Hey, I've been, we've been seeing you do these things. You've got to be from God. Nobody could do these things unless they were sent to God. And Jesus starts talking to him about being born again. and starts talking to him about the kingdom of God. And you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, do I got to go back into my mother's womb? He's like, Nicodemus, come on. The only person who can tell you about eternity is someone who comes out of heaven. I'm telling you about earthly things. How are you going to believe when I start telling you about heavenly things? The wind blows wherever it wishes, Nicodemus. And that's the way the Spirit blows. You're the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He tells him the story. Hey, Nicodemus, you remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were just whining and complaining? Moses, we hate the food. Moses, why is it manna every day? Moses, we're sick of manna. Ugh. We've made every recipe we make out of manna. We've had cream of wheat. We've had little manna cakes. We've made everything we can make. We've put brown sugar and butter in it. We've cooked it on the oven. We've made all the recipes you can make out of manna. Moses, we're sick of manna. Frankly, Moses, we're sick of you. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? You just brought us out here to die. Ah, Moses, God, just kill us now. And God says, okay, so he sends these snakes in, and they're like biting people, and they're poisonous, and they're like, Moses, we didn't mean it. We take it back. Help us, Moses. And Moses starts making a snake out of bronze. So you just see Moses hammering this snake. Like, Moses, could you be a little quicker? People are falling over out here. Moses is like, I'm busy, hold on. So he makes this snake out of bronze and he puts it up on this pole and they have to look up to the very thing that was their poison. They look up to it. He says, you look up at this and believe and you will live. And, and Jesus uses that story with Nicodemus. He says, hey, Nicodemus, you know that story. You know the word. You know it like nobody. He says... Just like Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, I'm going to be lifted up. And whoever looks to me lifted up and believes will have eternal life. He's saying this to a man who's part of a group who are avoiding Jesus like the plague. They're going to kill him. They're going to remain in darkness because if they're in the darkness, their deeds cannot be exposed as wicked. And here's Nicodemus walking into the light, and he's being exposed for who he is, but he's going to keep going into the light towards belief. That's what you do. And this is always then the problem right what's the first thing adam and eve did after they sinned they covered up in shame i don't want you to know me frankly i don't i don't want you knowing me either she sees me he sees me we're naked ah god's coming run just feeling revealed was awful, there was guilt, there was shame, and it's just been that way ever since. And so, we kind of stay in the back of the fridge, if you will, away from the light, and the mold grows, because nothing grows good in the dark, right? And We hate the light. And this is, like if there's if there's one metaphor that is over and over and over at Christmas, it's light, good grief, we light candles. you look over the door, there's lights, you look over here there's lights, there's lights everywhere. People chop down l- trees, strap them to the top of their car, drive the trees to their house, take them to their house, put sh- lights on it, like that's weird, <laughs> and then we got. Tired of that so we brought fake trees and then we got tired of putting lights on them so we brought fake trees with the lights built in hallelujah this is so much easier but why oh, because it's light it's light light came into the world it's the season of light people put lights all over their house and they just go crazy with it and they time it to music and you park out front and you turn your radio on and you just watch the lights dance everywhere right festival of lights. It's the season of light. But if we saw that for what it was, the revelatory power of light to come inside of us and show us who we are and expose us. Nicodemus stands out because he's willing to let his heart be exposed. And he was a man from a group of people who did not let their hearts be exposed. And so we we live in a world like that we live in a world where we cover up i mean good grief just read a survey this week the number one reason people pick their web browser privacy mode And when they did the survey, 50% of the people would not say why they needed privacy mode on their web browser. Bum, bum, bum. Well, you don't need to know why I need privacy mode on my web browser, but I need it. Right. I'm not going that far into the light. I'm gonna stay over here in the dark, right? (laughs) We live in that kind of world where we're just hiding. Jesus is like, come into the light. And when you come into the light, it'll be painful. It's like walking out of the movies and you've been in the dark all that time and it's still daylight because you went to the matinee and it's like, ah, good grief, where's my sunglasses? Right, Jesus says, come on, it'll be like that at first. Trust me, trust me. I'll bring you out of that death. I'll bring you into a light where you can be light. So today, it's a perfect day, last one of the year, Christmas time to have communion. And because, you know what Paul said, communion is a great time for confession. What is confession? It's coming into the light with your works, with your deeds, with your loves, and saying, okay, Jesus, here I am in the light. I'm seeing your blood. I'm seeing your, your body. And I'm just going to agree with you here in the light about what this is. Because you so loved that you gave. You sent, you saved. You did all of that, who am I to hide? Who am I to hide? I want want everything good you have to offer me in the light. Because that's where the good stuff is. Nothing good grows in the dark, the good stuff grows in the light. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.